0: This is One Heat Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll.
0: What's your name? Wayne Bro. You look like gangbangers working the local 7 Eleven here? Robbery, homicides, take it. Give me all you got! This is. And- Give me all you got! I do what I do best takes cause. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute, I'm your host Blake Howard and joining me today is a, a, a long time friend in the Oz film critic circle, a... Uh, Australian Film Critic Association award-winning critic and a writer for The Star Observer. He's also a Graffiti with Punctuation alumni and former Brisbane dude who now is firmly cemented in Sydney. His name is Lawrence Barber. Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on to One Heat Minute. It's good
1: to finally be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after, after being... I'm not going to say pestered to watch this movie. No, no pest, pestered is fine. <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. you're, you're allowed to yeah. say pestered. I've, I've, you know... It should get it out of the way. I have not seen this movie until very, very, very recently. Yes. That's so it was a bit of a, like, I have to, like, hoist my socks up to, yeah, yeah. to be ready for this. And I apologise to anyone who has seen this film more than once because you're probably going to know more than me and I'm going to sound like a
0: dick. No, yeah. you're not going to sound like a dick, number one. But number two was, it's actually funny, I reckon, just around the time that I even had the idea just setting, I caught up with you and Garth uh, Franklin and uh, Matt Whitehead, and we're all just having a pre-screening uh, tipple, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about an idea for a podcast you guys <laughs> wanted to do, which do you want to talk about it on this podcast?
1: I was worried that you would bring this up. The problem is, like, if I talk about this, is someone going to steal the idea? I Look, I think it's this such is, a... This is copyrighted and trademarked. <laughs> um, so the, the idea is that Matt and I got... Um, bizarrely obsessed with My Cousin Rachel, the (laughs) film starring Rachel Vice and Sam Claflin um, remade from the film starring Olivia de Havilland um, because like it's the greatest movie of all time
0: (laughs) Um, or the most terrible
1: I don't know we just got so (laughs) we got so fixated on it in advance because just the the need to remake it I think in this day and age felt like such a bizarre impulse um, and just, like, the, the the name is so... It's that very, like, 1950s, 1940s yeah. kind of, like, this is just what it is. Um, and it sounds like it's about a dude wanting to bang his, his cousin, Rachel, which it more or less is. Um, <laughs> yes. And just every, everything about it, everything coalesced into this strange obsession. Um, and we decided... Um, abortively in hindsight <laughs> uh, that we would no we're going to do it one day we're definitely going to do it one day that we would rewatch that movie once a week for a full year and oh do a podcast God. episode about every single one uh, every single viewing um, which <laughs> would truly be an insane undertaking yeah. possibly not as insane as this one
0: no however. no but I just I remember saying my idea to these guys and they're like oh that's really like good and ambitious and they told me their idea and I was like I would love that I don't want to watch the movie I just want to hear you two drink and watch that movie
1: (laughs) that was always the thing is like we would have to start every episode being like do not watch this movie. Never watch this movie. Um, you know how many times I watch it? We want you to experience it. it through our diseased brains.
0: Oh, that's so perfect. One day. One, one day it
1: will happen. You're you're pioneering. You're, like, showing that this is a thing that can it be It can
0: actually happen. It's insane, but it can happen. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be pestered and watching this movie. I really <laughs> I, appreciate it. I mean,
1: it's a really fucking
0: good movie. It, oh, that is good to hear. <laughs> that like, is...
1: I, I didn't I didn't have any um, apprehension about watching it, aside from the fact that it is nearly three hours long. Yes. Although I am no stranger to, to long movies, as you know, I saw two four-hour films at <laughs> <Yes. the> Disney <laughs> Films. Uh,
0: one of them was a musical, am I wrong?
1: A uh, black and white Filipino musical oh. by Lav Diaz, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but I'd only seen, of Michael Mann's films, I'd seen Black Hat, mm-hmm. um, and at some point... Very hazily in my schooling, I saw The Last of the Mohicans. Yes. But I have no real memory of, of it other than um, Daniel Day Lewis's long hair.
0: Beautiful long hair.
1: Um, so I came into it like knowing enough about his kind of deal, partly from reading and listening to you over the years. <laughs> Um, but you know, people have this reverence for Michael Mann and I've always kind of been like, Oh, I, I feel like I would probably share that once I finally get into it. And so now it. I'm here. You're here. Now I'm in the, the, in the place. Um, you're in a safe place with, with friends, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with friends.
0: So, um, we've, uh, I've got Lawrence in for a real, uh, it's a real cracker of a minute. It's very sort of turbulent. There's not, um, not a lot of dialogue. The one piece of dialogue that there is in. And this is delivered by the amazing um, Diane Venora's Justine, where she says, so I guess the earth shattered, which closes out the minute. But we are in the 62nd minute of Michael Mann's Crime Opus Heat where you've seen Vincent Hanna come to a crime scene He's found a young prostitute who's died. He's currently right in the throes of nursing her mother, played by Hazel Goodman. Um, the prostitute is unnamed, so she goes unnamed. and her, her character in the script is just prostitute's mother, which she is. Um, it was the 90s. <laughs> it was the 90s, and it's a trope that's been going for many years. Um, but it's this really um, wonderfully uh, scored scene by Elliot Goldenthal. We're going to watch it. Um, you guys can. We're going to watch it again just to refresh. You guys can listen along, and then we're going to come back and we're going to chat about it. the
1: earth shattered so why didn't you live? great minute it is a good minute um, I was I was struck by how moving I found that scene it's such an odd scene for a movie like this I feel like if you think about convention yes in many ways just the the the, the, the but also like the, I don't know it's it's interesting to watch it you know 20 odd years on um, especially like the, the place of African American people in this story and yeah like what kind of um, prominence they're given versus the lack thereof is fascinating because you've got this mother grieving, but she's not really, you know, her dialogue isn't given prominence. She is speaking, but it's not put forward. It's, yeah. it's fascinating.
0: It's fascinating. And it's also really, it's a great, it's, it's sort of that tragic and it falls into that archetypal space where it's like a prostitute's mother. You know, the the prostitute's mother is there. They know her. Um, Cindy Katz, who plays Rachel, who's the crime scene detective in just the preceding minute, she's like, yeah, it's fucked up. The family knew her. I actually think that's partly one of the most tragic things is that she's like a local girl who's turned to prostitution. Her family knows she's around. They're in this ghetto area where this stuff happens all the time. And you're right. The other big, you know, uh, uh, storyline that's happening alongside is Donald Breeden, who's just come out of prison, played by Dennis Haysbert. And he's experiencing the very worst of what it's like to be in institutionalized because he is he's struggling 25% of his pay is being flipped to this little twerp in manager and he's just you know struggling to kind of make make way with what's happening but this is i it's for a scene, uh, for a film that's got like such beautiful staging in so much of it the beginning sequences of this minute it's so like disorientating it's you know the score is swelling and it's 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 it's, it's 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 you sort of surrounding the characters and the grief that she has, um, does a few really choice cuts um, in and out there and you sort of look at him and she's just throwing all of her emotion to him. There's not a lot of speaking. They're just sort of emoting to one another in this very classic, you know, cl- classic Hollywood way, almost like silent movie way, and then they yeah. hug and go from there.
1: Well, that's, that's the thing that um, got me about it is if you look at the scenes where any of the men in this movie with kind of their love interests or their wives or anything. It's staged in such a similar way. Yes. And it's shot in such a similar way. Um, whereas, like, this is the moment where I feel like in the entire movie, other than perhaps the ending, he's actually connecting with another human being. Yes. Because um, he, as a character, feels so... He's so driven um, by his job that he's kind of dispassionate about everything else. Whereas, like, this, this feels like it's almost cracking his facade. Yes. Like, it's almost breaking but he keeps it together because he knows like this just means like i have to keep going with this and he
0: and he he gets that there's almost i don't know how to describe it it's like um and i've only sort of picked it up in this is when he walks away he's sort of it's like he's in a bit of a daze you know he sort of reels out of this exchange and she's just emoting at him and he says something, you know, in a sort of lost in translation kind of way. He says something, it whispers something in her ear, like, and and it kind of. I've tried to bloody listen to this thing, <laughs> I've so loud, but it's it's. I don't know if he just says something as simple as, or what it sounds like, as simple as it's her, it's mm. her, yeah, and that's all he has to say, or sounds so, something like that, and she just wants no, no, no. She's holding him. She's she's pulling his lapels on his jacket. The camera's swirling around, and it is that genuine. There's something so beautiful about that sort of in that moment he's guards down like you see that in his performance I think in his eyes he's guards down and I agree I think this is such a you know the face that's at like 8 seconds at this minute he's trying to remain composed and he just can't do it like he then has to embrace her once again because she's slapping his pearls. Yeah. And he just sees her and, and, and he just has to he, he has to hold her just one more time just to sort of finally calm her down before the young African-American cop and the young two lady lady cops who are on the scene sort of take her away from what's happening
1: well it's like he turns and he faces away and it's almost like he can't bear to watch her walk away yeah like there's some part of him that wants to stay with her and be that cop for once yeah. Which is really interesting because the rest, like he doesn't get a chance to do that, no, um, at all in the rest of the movie, and presumably not in any of any of his professional life. And Lord knows he doesn't do it at home. <laughs> no, no. um, goddamn chicken, as we, <laughs> the goddamn yeah. As we start to see, um, in in the next scene, um, she's she's great. Like just in that Hazel Goodman is the appearance. the
0: actor's name. She comes in and just destroys for like a minute and is such a real authentic devastated person and it doesn't it doesn't feel overplayed it feels perfectly pitched and it just complements with him and just the reaction shot here she, that she leaves him with like you said he just can't even look at her he doesn't want to look at her he's looking off into the dist- middle distance there he's not really focused on her walking away he sort of has a scan and he, he's just there's a, I, I love so much of pacino's performance in this movie because like in about four seconds from like 29th second of this minute to the 33rd he, his eyes are darting around but his face is not moving and it's just emoting so much and you can just project all that stuff that Lawrence and i just talked about like straight into his face here you're like shit this is like this is, is he gonna break and then like snap straight back to swagger again
1: it, it was it was weird for me like watching it for the very first time and just trying to calibrate my feelings about his performance yes because you know I I'm, haven't seen that much Pacino, certainly not. Um, older, you know, classic Pacino. Yes, um, versus the more recent,
0: um, terrible Pacino. I think well, it's, I think that gone
1: your words, it's not mine. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but it, at the same time, it's this odd performance of mm. masculinity that he's putting on. Yeah, um, this this sort of staging of power that he has to feel he feels he has to put forward in every scene. Even when he's talking um, to to his wife, it's the same kind of thing where he's forming this this shell um, Mm -hmm. and whatever is left of like who he actually is as a person inside is there but it doesn't get many chances to kind of peek through and this is one of the the rare times that it happens but also like he's so he's so mannered um in many ways you know the whole method approach to the to the performance that when it's when he's just being a human being like he is here it's really quite started like it almost pulled it almost pulled me out of the movie yeah because i was like nothing that he's done so far suggests that this could be a version of him yes and it's only what comes after this that sort of shades in this scene and makes it make more sense in the larger context of the movie
0: yeah because right now up until this point you have no context around you know um the failures of upcoming stakeouts or the of uh, the failures of the marriage and, and the pure, raw emotion that comes out of that or, or, like, you know, all the way up into the final scenes. Like, you've got none of that and then the, the Lauren, Natalie Portman scene that a lot of people know. But there's this, yeah, this is that, that great sort of emotional truth moment. I think this, I don't know what it is about this swagger of this shot, but it, like, feels so like Chinatown, end of Chinatown for me, this shot where he's, like, walking away from the camera um and it's all set up and there's all this police tape and there's all this massive audience. You've got Cindy Katz who plays Rachel, the amazing crime scene investigator, sort of and, and she's what's great is that you can see in the frame she looks over at the mother and her eyes scan from him to her, like you get the sense that she's seen him do that at crime scenes before.
1: And it's also you get the sense that from from working with him and being around him is that she's taken on his traits. Yes. She's seen him and she is as detached as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're looking at her body, um, the body of this this unnamed sex worker, um, she's got like rice yeah, stuck exactly. to her face, which is such like a it's such a disorienting element uh, yeah. to to include something like that because it just you know it's already unsettling to see someone dead, yes, but it's extra unsettling to have something so kind of mundane thrown into that. Yeah. I guess it's the same thing as you know it reminded me a little bit of Twin Peaks, yes. Um. Yes. There's a lot of. There's I'm surprised. I didn't expect there to be quite so much Lynch.
0: There's a lot of Lynch in this. In this. Yeah.
1: Um. In many ways. Other than you know obviously being LA, which you know is is Lynch's bag very much so as well. But the the whole thing of you know finding Laura Palmer dead wrapped in plastic. It's it's a similar thing of like she's she's dead. She's got rice on her nose. Kind of thing. It's this weird, unusual mix of the, it's the, so, the it's, horrific and it's, the normal. Yeah,
0: so asinine. Like, oh, there was someone threw out someone threw out a box of Chinese food in the in the yeah. same bin that this girl was disposed in and yeah, it's really it's really devastating.
1: And the the whole the whole movie weirdly, really, it has it's, it's obviously a very different version of it, but it has, like, the feel of Dream Logic, even though it's a very logical yes. film, which is something that I didn't expect. Mm. And then it really plays out in, in this scene, and then it immediately cuts to this kind of airy, roomy restaurant overlooking the city with, like, this gorgeous view behind it. And yes. so there are obviously many, many gorgeous views of the city <laughs> at night. Um, many, many, many views of that throughout the film. Um, but, again, it's like... It's going from uh, a you know a complete lack of privilege to this incredibly privileged environment. Yeah, um, and it's something that the film I, I think it skates over it more than like if it were made today. Yeah, you would have to spend more time on those elements. Oh, hugely.
0: Um, and just, it was
1: just to make the story make more sense. And in it's a, in a in like the world building and the con- social context. And
0: it's really funny is because this movie like literally is made right around the same time as the OJ, like the entire OJ Simpson thing happening. So it's like, I I think it was actually made and released right before, but it comes on hot on the heels. So it's really interesting to look at the whole little snapshot of what it's like for, you know, um, African-American experience around the, you know, institutionalization in prisons that you've got with Don Breeden, which is that bit. And then other bits that don't lean into that as much. So it kind of feels like it's on the cusp of, different cultural moment, so it's like it kind of is allowed you know in the, in the historical context it sort of is allowed to not be that but yeah i think if we're talking about what it would be now absolutely like it's a different yeah. that 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 becomes almost one of the central stories like it builds in as the, the central story and this other stuff's happening around you, it
1: well that's the, the interesting thing you think about the don breton character is like he's getting a second chance she's not getting a second chance no, no. and that you know i feel is so Interesting and representative of the conversations <laughs> about you know black men and black women mm-hmm. and how they're portrayed on screen, in, yes. you know versus each other and what kind of prominence their stories are given, um, which is such an interesting touch. One of the things that like you know obviously I watched it and I read a bit about it because I wanted to f- 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 come off a little bit more, <laughs> like tiniest tiniest <laughs> bit knowledgeable um, is all you know and it started like the pilot. There was a pilot. Yeah, line of, t- of this story. LA Takedown. It's called yeah. yeah um and all all the sort of people looking back at it saying like it this feels like a blueprint for what we know as prestige tv and if this were made today it would probably be like a 10 episode limited series on hbo and you would have all of this time to explore all of these tiny little subplots and this is one where you can totally imagine there just being an episode from the sex workers perspective like you're getting this whole oh yeah version of her life leading up to this moment um, where she's just trying to survive and finds herself in that horrible situation um, with what's his face? Yeah, Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow.
0: the worst name um, ever. But but what <laughs> I, what
1: Wayne, I, Wayne the like fertilizer brand? <laughs>
0: That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. But what I would say to you is, I agree. I, I imagine that like if you if you went back and you remade that, you would feel like the episode was taking a digression in the series it'd be one of those weird ones where people are like oh I didn't really know that it was doing this I had no oh shit here he I'm is I'm such a sucker for those episodes uh, me that too I like them too you know, pioneered
1: by the amazing TV show Enlightened that I will never um, refuse an opportunity to talk about <laughs> but it's that thing of like you, you tell a larger story through a character and more and more shows have started to do that Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is one of those moments where you can imagine that story being taken out of it and um, in, in today's world you would give that prominence whereas it was the 90s and you could kind of just have those stories bubbling under and like they would they drop in here for a moment and then kind of recede and so many of the um the black characters in the film they they come in and they come out and they don't have much impact um they're not sort of as threaded through the fabric of the of the story in the way that all of the other characters are if you think about um breeden's Girl, is it is she his girlfriend or I don't like know that's, that, that's
0: one we've talked about is he feels like uh, Lillian is a yeah. character's name and uh, it she feels like to me because and and this is we've uh, sort of touched on it briefly in another podcast um, um, uh, we touched on it uh, 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 is that Kim Staunton, who plays her she feels like she was with him before he went to prison. And she's not and, anymore. And yeah. and she kind of wasn't. And then now she is, and she really is helping him to get back on his feet because she knows that it's a vital part. So I want to say...
1: And also, like, I would wait for Dennis Haysbert. Oh, my I God. I just need to throw that out. Dennis, he's one of the most beautiful <laughs> men on the planet.
0: 1995 90, Dennis Haysbert <sighs> in that shirt when he was... He's beautiful. He's literally one of the most beautiful men at the time. And so, you know, you get the feeling like she's she's together with him and maybe she's ready to relinquish that. Yeah. Um, But like
1: she gets, you know, not to jump on too much, but she she gets this kind of moment to Mm. respond in the same way that the mother does in this scene. But again, that's all it is. And then she's gone and she's removed from the story because, you know, it's a, it's a dead end and it feels like all the African-American characters in this story reach that dead end because ultimately it's the like, egomaniac
0: <laughs> yes. you know
1: white man who not like make the story all about them because you know I'm not saying this to cast version on Michael Mann's approach to the story but you know this is this is culturally where the story goes yeah it comes down to this story of obsession between these two white dudes white dudes um, who like secretly want to fuck each other I'm just <laughs> I don't know if that's been discussed
0: not not at length but we can absolutely go there on this podcast I'm happy to go there
1: I that was that was the thing that got me it's like it reminded me of hannibal yeah in and right. obviously you know michael mann has his own connection yes um to to uh that universe but that thing of you know is is this um fixation on each other and what each other does it's about mirroring but it's also about like wanting to be with that person yeah and the, you know the dynasty, and obviously um you know you touched on it in the episode but just like this sense that you know they're kind of made for each other
0: yeah and 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 that's what it's so you know ultimately devastating is that they kind of know they're made for each other they know there's this weird and i get you because it's like that sexual. there's almost something sexual about it because it's like there's a sense of completion when they're together like, yes. th- we're meant We're two parts of a whole. We're two parts of a whole. We're, m- we're you know, and, and Chris Nolan apes on it and steals it liberally for The Dark Knight, whereas, like, we're made to do this together with yeah, the Joker yeah, yeah, and yeah, Batman, totally. you know. Like, he's like, we're, we're, we should just do this forever. This is the fun of it. And I think that this movie's smart enough to not play it ha- its hand like that, but it's totally cool to sort of evolve and stew and give these ideas and stories. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think that, you know, Some of what we're talking about is the ultimate failure of some of the imitators of this movie since it was made. Because I think that in some of the ways that you're talking about it, you know, if you went back and remade Heat, you know, as a television series, you would keep large, you would keep pretty much everything. And what you would do is go, these great... Wonderful side characters like Lillian. I want to see Lillian on the weeks before she has to pick him up from yeah. prison.
1: It's more about building out the story. Yes. you wouldn't have to do anything else. No, because what's there is so good and so effective. <laughs> yes, but it's just like you—you're you, almost only scratching the surface of the world in which this is taking place. And
0: then what I love, but what I love is there's so the characters are so well performed and the texture of their surrounding stories are so good that, like these are the weird moments and the weird satisfaction that I have after doing this podcast is so I wonder, I'm like, what, was, what does Lillian do? Like, what's her job? Like, I think yeah. I get, I go down rabbit holes of like, what does Lillian do for a job? Like, I wonder what she does. She's so good and calming and, and it has is she worked as a psychologist or a, yeah. so, or a sociologist or something? Has is she, is, is she worked in, you know, um, those things? And I sort of go down these rabbit holes with these characters and Hazel Goodman, I'm like, oh, what happened to her daughter? Like, how did she get in that situation? Where does situation?
1: her life go from here? Where
0: does she go? Like, what does she do with her kids? Are her other kids standing over there, you know? Like,
1: yeah, they, are her other kids going in the same direction? Like, is this yeah. the cycle of violence continuing and yes. sort of rending her her family apart? Like, it's there's so many interesting questions and you know the, there's so much interesting going on but also you know it, for, for me i watch movies like this um and just the the stories i'm interested in are, are rarely the stories that are the ones at the top the ones like at the, the top of the hierarchy yeah um you know I, I want the stories about women and people on the margins first and foremost because they're do, usually doing something different But, you know, I can come back to this and get, you know, just as much pleasure out of the the main story here. Yeah. But just, like, you know, we only get a tiny little bit of the next scene. Um, But when he walks into this restaurant and she's been waiting for him and sits down next to him, and she just gets, like, she just drags him, but, like, in the most (laughs) kind of poetic, um, like, flowery, wonderful way. Like, she's not just reading him to filth, she is like dissecting him piece by piece throughout this movie. And
0: we see it. I love how you said she drags him because what's so amazing is you feel like the previous scene is the scene where you really get to finally know Vincent Hanna, like pure everything that is great about him. He walks onto that scene. He swans on. If you guys are listening now, because Lawrence and I are talking about, the 62nd minute of this amazing film you've heard the 60th minute which is with Manola Dargis who called Vincent Hanna's entry into that scene Garbo-esque he, walk, <laughs> he walks in like he's swanning in he, it's his stage yeah. there's helicopters it almost looks like a film premiere there are things going on and then at the culmination of the scene there's this really beautiful poetic moment which Lawrence talked about which is like he's finally unguarded he 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 feels like in this moment of anonymity almost with this mother who's not even named he gives so much more of himself than he does to other characters what I love is the immediate compliment is this scene because I think a lot of people must forget the sequence of it because they're like oh it sounds a bit contrived and I'm like no why I love this scene it's is so
1: smart to put this scene here
0: it's perfect because she just she basically says Hey, I know that I don't know anything about where you've just been, but I know that you went and looked at the scene, and you looked around for signs of passing, and now you're just going to shut down, and you're going to, you know, lose the power of speech when we fuck, and that's it. As she just eviscerates him in the most, and he tries to sort of play it off with a little bit of histrionics, but it's just. Perfection.
1: I can't tell you how many people I now want to say that they're <laughs> walking, well, walking through, like, or living living with the remains of dead people. Dead people. Oh, what a line.
0: What like, a I'm line. just going to go up to people in the street and say, you're living with the remains, remains of, of dead, dead people.
1: people. Just, like, the, the low, husky voice. She's, I don't think I've seen her in
0: anything Diane Venora is amazing. She's, she's fabulous. She's, uh, she does a really fantastic job in an upcoming Michael Mann film in 1999 called The Insider. Mm, I knew um, that. Maria Lewis in our ninetieth episode, which you're gonna to have to wait to hear, praises her work in the Jackal, the terrible '90s movie with Bruce Willis and uh, Richard Gere. Um, if you want to see Richard Gere doing a terrible Irish accent, you, can see, you can see Diane Venora, and, and, and she's uh, some, some uh, uh, I think she's from the Basque clan or something like that. And Maria says she's got Basque bangs, um, so uh, she she's just she's I mean, phenomenal I a hair in this movie. Oh yeah. my god, great and it's
1: shapeshifting. Uh, What a stunt queen.
0: (laughs) She's amazing. And she's, um, I think, in later life has been on, and I'm not sure if you're a fan. I haven't seen them, but it's like the one of the American horrors I want to say oh okay one of those series she might have been on as an uh, American horror story one of the story uh, Covens or whatever one of those franchises Okay. but she's a phenomenal actor like I uh, I look at her in this movie and I'm like how have you not won an Academy Award well I
1: think it's it's her and it's um, Ashley
0: Judd is amazing Ashley Judd
1: is amazing I love her um, her like Angelina Jolie like
0: Yeah, before Angelina, yeah.
1: Before Angelina, like, she set the stage for it. Um, But the... uh, Is it Kevin Gage?
0: Kevin Gage plays Wayne Grow.
1: He's... Like, that character is despicable and awful, and, you know, the movie makes great pains to tell us that, but, like, his... The way he plays that is so good.
0: Oh, he's excellent.
1: Um, And, like, also, he has those eyes that just, like...
0: His eyes uh, are just...
1: Uh, um, mes- like, they mesmerise you, and you sort of see, like, you can tell why he has this power over people. Yes. Um, beyond just being who he is and, you know, being a, a horrible serial killer. <laughs> yes. Um, like, there's, some, there's something about that. There's a, a, you know, that very kind of 80s and 90s version of serial killers where they had that kind of magnetism. They weren't sort of weird loners on the fringe, necessarily. They were people who, who you know, were evil, and they knew that they could wield power over people. Over, over others.
0: He's got a great high-functioning, I want to say high-functioning ability to kind of still work, Like even though his work is I'm a cowboy and I will murder people, but like his work in, in inverted commas feels like he can still function normally. Whereas later on... I don't know. It feels like for a little while in the '90s, it goes out of the window. They are purely loners, and then it sort of gets reined back in with more modern, you know, serial killer storytelling. Where it's like, oh no, they can kind of like have a job and do stuff and also be weird. I think that's the like the Netflix doco um, influx of our lives, you know, basically.
1: (laughs) Well, he he, to me, his character feels like if um, like Neil didn't have a conscience. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because there's the same, like, modulation, the same kind of minimising of behaviour, of, yeah. of passing unnoticed in order to do what you do, but it's being used for, you know, not dissimilar ends, because they're both criminals. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know...
0: We've got a very strict moral line drawn. Yeah, in like this you've movie. Yeah, got,
1: like, you've got um, Macaulay in the bank, um, telling people, like, your money is insured by the US government. You'll be fine. Yeah. Like, this isn't about yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> which which is such a good touch. And, it you know, that gives you a sense of where he's operating from. Um, and then you've got, you know, his whole thing with Amy Brenneman, which, like, don't get me started because I'll just make so many references to the Jane Austen <laughs> book club and I'll just derail this whole podcast even more. Um, but the that that duality, I feel, between those two characters is almost like living just underneath the one between the main characters, between Pacino and De Niro. Yes. Of being like in in some way both of those men could also be Wayne Grow. Yeah. Like there's a version of them, if they didn't have the fixation that they did on their on their job and a degree of professionalism which is very Michael Mann. Yes. Then they could be that guy. They could be that horrible person committing all of these, you know, gruesome murders. Yeah,
0: and they're all all of them and I think you made such an amazing point which I hadn't really thought about until talking to you, which is why I love this podcast, is that that shared focus and magnetism that they have, all three guys share it. Like there are some weird connections we're starting to see. Like Wayne Grow is you know, he's that He's that Neil without a conscience, as you said. So the connection between those guys is really explicit because it's you know, running in parallel to the movie. You know, Wayne, Even choosing to hire Wayne is, You know, part of the overarching demise of the Macaulay character. But there's such this, especially in that next scene that we see, we the, the scene that we're in, um, where we're watching Vincent sort of look at the aftermath of a Wayne Grow death and it's probably landing in his court. This is another guy, another adversary that he inadvertently uses his bait to catch this other more compatible and moral adversary. But, you know, these are the kinds of guys that he, he he's looking at weird reflections of himself as all the time.
1: Yeah, and it's the the thing that um, he talks to, to Justine about is, like, do you really want me to share this kind of thing with you? Yeah. I have to keep this angst in here. And you wonder, like, is it the angst that you're keeping in there? Or is there, is there some kind of, like if you hunt down these people then it battles your secret desire to actually do what they do. Yeah. Um, which is a really, you know, interesting element that I think the the kind of exaggerated performativeness of Pacino in this movie, like it, it hints at that. Yes. There's like a mania to it which he's channeled into a productive place. Yes. But unleashed. <laughs> like You don't know where it could go. You
0: don't know. And, and I think... you're you're validating one of my theories, which is um, Chris Nolan made a movie called Insomnia with uh, Pacino and Robin Williams and Hilary Swank. And I feel like that's like a... Christopher Nolan went, I'm going to take Vincent Hanna, the famous cop from LA, and I'm going to make him finally slip past any kind of morality and turn him into a cop who'll just do anything to succeed because that's what satiates him as an older person. And so I feel like that's very much... It's that kind of like... In Chris Nolan's mind, anyway, that's the logical step for this character, that eventually, yeah. that, that like you mania, can't that you back. can't hold that back forever. That but something's going to slip. At the
1: same time, I feel like the way the movie ends suggests that like, he's, he's, re- he's he, reached it. Like That's he, the, the brink where he would either topple over yes. or pull himself
0: back. Agreed.
1: And... You know, to me, it feels like he pulls himself back, but I guess you don't know.
0: You don't know, but to me, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm not the Nolan, but we're both not as like psychopathic as uh, Chris but Nolan. Like, I, I, I
1: just want I just want good things for Natalie.
0: <laughs> me too. I just want
1: her to have a like a nice, polite oh. father figure in her life.
0: I wouldn't you know? mind that too, because her <laughs> father. And what what's so you know what's so fascinating about the Vincent character is that he's in his own way. In his job, he, and, and, and even when it's at a middle distance, like with Lauren, Natalie Portman's character, or like this Hazel Goodman character, he's able to sort of be productive with how he manages emotions and, you know, deflect, oh, this shitty dad who, look at him, he's never here. But he's never there.
1: He's never there. That, <laughs> that, the, the super interesting thing about the, the one line that Justine has that dips into this minute is the way she says, like, has the earth shattered? And so she knows that, I mean, she knows that something has happened every time she sees him. Yes. But like, she knows that this one is particularly seismic, for lack of a better word. Yes. Like, she can feel that he's been affected by something in a way she hasn't been able to affect him in many, many years. Yeah. And, or, you know, however long they've been married, because he's had three. Yeah, three. Right. a so couple prob- of years. Probably not that long. <laughs> Six months. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, you know she she knows, but at the same time, his guard is already back up. Yeah, like he has had this moment of vulnerability, but it's not. It it doesn't last. No, um, the the walls are immediately erected again, um, and that is why I, particularly why I love going from from that scene into this one. Yes, um, is just the 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 dichotomy of of who he is is so fascinating, and one of the things that I loved about this movie.
0: Well for a guy who only saw the movie like yesterday
1: look I am like a film critic I know what I'm talking about he knows what he's
0: talking about (laughs) Lawrence Barra Lawrence is
1: good at pretending like I do
0: no he does great observations that is a fantastic you have to come back you're coming back yes you've seen it now you have
1: seen it now I'm I'm trapped in the vortex you're you're trapped in the vortex
0: (laughs) Um, ladies and gents you can find Lawrence at at Bortleby on Twitter if you want to check that out that's B-O-R-T-L-B yeah and uh star observer and other places that yes. he's around
1: um uh most weeks on friday nights at 8 p.m. on abc radio sydney and sometimes nationally i do reviews with christine o'nor. Oh, there it is. half an hour so you can tune into those if you want to hear me blabber about
0: movies and more. Yes. And and you should. You should. He's very good. Lawrence, thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. My pleasure. This is amazing. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, this has always been One Heat Minute. I've been Blake Howard. At Blake is Batman on the Twitter is where you can hit me up. But anything you want to know about the show, it's oneheatminute.com. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our web design, Mr. Paul Davies for our awesome theme, and thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time for one more Heat Minute round the corner.